Hello? Hey. Hi. Okay, so it's recording now. Okay. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good. How about you? Good. Thank you for agreeing to have a conversation with me. I'm very excited. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess I'll just start with, can you tell me a little bit about what you do now? Sure. Um, so, I mean, you already have my, like, title and everything. Um, so, basically, at National Museum of Women in the Arts, um, I'm responsible for sort of any kind of online experiences we do, um, which includes some social media, um, but mostly managing our website. Um, so that can be, you know, like fun things like online exhibitions or mobile guides or, you know, coming up with like little fun things to do in the gallery. Mostly on a day-to-day -day basis, it's kind of managing the workflow of updating the content on our website, kind of sourcing material from different departments, um, working with our contract developer to kind of do maintenance on the website, um, and kind of, you know, other things as assigned it being a, a small museum. So that can be, you know, helping with events or writing artist profiles for the web or all kinds of different things. And when you say it's a small museum, you mean in comparison to the other museums in D.C. or just what classifies it as being small? Yeah, that's actually a good question. Um, I think of us as small in a city of Smithsonian's, but we're probably more of a mid-sized museum. Um, I think there's about 40, 40 full-time staff, um, and that's every department plus, you know, the shop and the head of security and um, that kind of thing. We have we have a lot of additional volunteers and sort of security staff who work um, on a part-time basis. But yeah, about 40 full-time staff. Do you know about how many visitors visit the space a year or approximate? I I have heard the average number before, and I'm like forgetting it off of the top of my head. Um, I would say it's probably like 100 to 200 thousand per year. Okay. But you know, if you ever wanted to cite that, I would have to check the number. But that's it. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I work at the Long Island Museum in Stony Brook, and we're a small museum in comparison to even you guys. Um, mm -hmm. I think our full-time staff, maybe 30, it might be, it might be near 40, but we have a lot of, I'm part-time, we have a couple part-timers, and we do have, you know, volunteers and doses, um, but we don't, I, I don't think we see nearly that many visitors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we definitely benefit from being in D.C., it's it's good and it's bad, you know. It's a tourist city for sure, um, but there's quite a bit of competition. Yeah, uh, while I was waiting for you, I was looking on the No Man's Land exhibition online, and I think that oh yeah, together is that an exhibition that's going on now? No, No Man's Land was actually last year. 
I guess it's kind of doodling. It, it came up, so. Yeah, interesting. Um, that, yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. I might have to check into that. You know, maybe that page has particularly good SEO or something. Um, yeah, the exhibition that we have on now um, is actually, it's if you're into contemporary art at all, which No Man's Land was, um, this is, it's sort of it's 1960s to today, but it's all abstract art by black women artists. So, so oh, cool. it's a very cool show if you ever make it down here. I was actually um, in the day two conference that we were in in April. I was in D.C., and I oh, didn't, cool. I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't visit this museum, but I saw a ton of other ones. But I would love to go back. There's so much to see there. So definitely have to add it to the list. Oh, um, yeah, you could definitely. I, I think there's like 75 museums in D.C. It could take a while. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it's so convenient to be on the mall. But how far are you guys mm-hmm. from the mall? Uh, we're about a depending where on the mall you want to be, or like a 10 to 15 minute walk. That's not bad. Um, the yeah. mall, it's just convenient to hit all those museums kind of because they're all around. I think mm-hmm. I, we did venture off the mall, my roommate and I, and we went to the National Building Museum on our own. And um, we did go to like the Holocaust Museum, which I know is a little far away. So we did branch out mm-hmm. a little bit, but I'll have to check out even further. Yeah. Multiple so trips. I'll, I'll ask, yeah, I know. I got to bring my family there. It's great. I was saying when I graduate, I'll plan a trip so we can all go see some of the things that interest me. So we'll see what happens. Nice. But I guess I'll start um, with uh, some of the questions that I wrote down. You know, uh, my cat is laying on them. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I should door. warn you, just in case there's like any kind of dog barking in the background that's mine also i heard him before (laughs) i did close my door and she managed to push it up and she's she's meowing at the beginning and i was like oh no this is professional (laughs) but at least we're in the same boat then um so I'll just start with the first question that I had posed to you. I, I saw that, you know, based on your background, you've been doing a lot of digital work, it seems. Um, but your MA from George Washington was just strictly museum studies. Where did this interest in digital-centered, you know, yeah. come from? Did it fall in your lap? What happened? Um, yeah, well, so uh, Women in the Arts is actually my first, like, actual kind of museum digital job. Um, my master's was kind of exhibition development technically, but kind of, I took a bit of everything. Um, I did actually have a class with Dana, who's your professor now, um, back in 2011. And that's when it was sort of like, you know, Twitter was only like two years old and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, like audio tours were like a new thing. So I took a class with her called Museums and Technology that I really like. Um, and I remember that she had us tweeting as part of our participation grade, and I actually really hated it. Um, yeah. And I, I think back, like I look back on it, and I realize it's because like the platform was completely different. Like I don't think that there were images, and there were no like sort of content previews. Like it was just a lot less interesting than it is mm-hmm. now. 
Um, but I, I always liked it. And then I got a job right out of grad school, which was very lucky, at an exhibition design company, um, which is also based here in D.C. So I was there for three years. Um, and I didn't really do digital stuff. It was more like exhibition project management type work. Um, we had a lot of different national and international clients. Um, some of them were brand new museums, BB kind of like designed and built from the ground up. Some were established museums that were kind of redoing their permanent collections. Um, so I worked on teams with architects and graphic designers, and it was it was really cool. Um, most of the projects had some kind of like media component, um, but not necessarily, you know, we didn't necessarily interact with like web-related stuff. It was more, you know, like mm -hmm. video production and interactives and that kind of thing. Um, and I really loved it. It was super interesting. It was really great, but it's a really different experience than working in a museum. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's an agency, so it's very client focused and it's sort of very deadline heavy and the work is never ending and I it was super interesting but I think I kind of got a little bit burnt out and was sort yeah, of feeling like you know I yeah like like I went to grad school because I wanted to work in a museum and this is really wonderful that I get to interact with lots of different museums but I sort of miss having like that you know personal connection um so I actually left my job after three years and I took a short-term contract at the Natural History Museum. Um, and I had sort of, the, the digital thing was more of a strategic decision. Um, I'm definitely interested in digital media. Um, I've always been, I wouldn't say like a tech geek. I just sort of, I, I like the internet. I, you know, it's, it's something I'm used to, it's something I'm comfortable with. And I sort of felt like, you know, as I'm sure you know, like it's tough to get a job in a museum. So, you know, it's kind of if you want to do fundraising, there's always openings, but I, it's not really my passion. Um, I don't think I'm particularly good at it either. And, you know, I noticed that, like, more and more sort of digital positions were opening up, um, you know, kind of dedicated, like, digital content manager type stuff. So mm -hmm. when I was looking for jobs, I kind of remembered everything that I had learned in Dana's class, and I got back on Twitter, and I kind of went at it, like, full force, and I started following a lot of museum people and sort of, you know, people who work in high-level digital roles at different museums and just sort of read what they were tweeting about and reading and started interacting with people um, and sort of building a network. And then I ended up taking the contract because it was, uh, it was a four-month contract, but it was kind of doing program management um, in the – it's an anthropology program that's very specific. It's about, like, endangered languages. So super fascinating, but one of the, you know, besides like doing invoices and billing, one of the things was sort of like manage the website and do social media. So I was like, oh, well, I'll do that. And then I can like get some experience. Um, and yeah. I actually, I 
took a, I don't know if you're familiar with General Assembly. It's like yeah. a, it's sort of like continuing education, like doesn't quite capture it. Um, they have it in a lot of different cities. They definitely have it in New York, like Manhattan and Brooklyn, but it's mm-hmm. very like tech heavy classes. So some of them are for people who want to make like a complete career change and become a web developer. And then they also have part-time classes for web development, like user experience design. And I ended up taking a 10-week course in digital marketing. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so I was sort of taking that class and working the contract and then also like still applying for jobs. And <laughs> it was sort of, um, you know, good luck, good timing, I suppose. Um, I knew the girl who was leaving the position that I now currently have, and it was a good fit. And I was, it was really helpful that I was sort of fresh off of this digital marketing class because, you know, I was able to, like, talk a lot more confidently about sort of, you know, digital metrics and sort of social media marketing and that kind of thing. So that's how I landed there. I um. It's interesting that you said that because I was scheduled to graduate this semester, actually, and taking Dana's class and realizing how much the digital world is kind of, you know, the museums need to be a part of it nowadays. Um, I was Mm -hmm. contemplating they offer a digital curation certificate through, um, through John Hopkins, and I was thinking of, you know, it would be beneficial for future jobs to maybe have that certificate as we see this bigger trend to go digital. Yeah, it it seems like it would be. I, I put in a call for my advisor to call me to talk about it. I was all ready to graduate, you know, with your master's. <laughs> but I do love school, too, so I wouldn't mind. But I totally get, yeah. you know, the whole needing to find a job. It actually, um, being the curatorial assistant at my job fell in my lap because I started out as an intern and I stayed in as a volunteer as I was going mm-hmm. in to school for my BA and their collection manager left after 17 years for a full-time librarian job. And so mm-hmm. the previous curatorial assistant moved up and they offered me her position. So it's kind of like, you know, people don't really move in my museum. My boss, the head curator has been there 15 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really did luck out, but I do get the struggle. So, it does seem like the digital digital world is, you know, offering a good amount of jobs lately. So that's good. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it's not even that you need to, you know, specifically apply for a job that has digital in the title, but I think as much kind of hands-on experience as you can get is, you know, the more sort of tech literate you can be, even if it's mm-hmm. not necessarily, you don't, you know, you don't need to learn how to code, but if you have sort of like a good understanding of how, you know, websites work, you know, the next time you apply for a job and they're like, oh, you know, we might need you to, you know, write blog posts or, you know, kind of manage this for us. And, you know, just sort of the more that you kind of have in your back pocket, the better. I was actually just talking about it with my coworkers yesterday that, you know, I'm kind of thankful for when I did grow up because I grew up 
when we still played outside with Barbies and everything as computers were becoming important. So, you know, mm -hmm. towards high school and in college, I was on AIM and MySpace. And it's kind of like I got the best of both worlds because, mm -hmm. you know, I learned so much. I can type fast, pro at social media, Google searching, all that. Um, but I still got to enjoy the other things that life offers. So. Yeah, um, I actually I feel the same way. I can I can remember like using dial-up internet. Yeah, so. and you're waiting for that dial tone, and sometimes it just kept going and going. Mm -hmm. I think they're yep. final. I think they're actually getting rid of AOL. I, I heard yeah, something I that just read that. Yeah, I, it was truthfully, I didn't. I didn't realize it still existed, but I guess that's the end of an era. I I actually freelance for a gentleman. I'm uh, cataloging his collection, and he's like an old retired surgeon, Vietnam vet, and he uses AOL Mail. And I remember getting on the the computer, and I heard like the door close and the door open, and I'm like, I haven't heard this sound in so long. <laughs> um, really funny. So you you did touch on some of the institutions you worked for. Um, you know, were there any, what was your favorite, do you have any favorite memories of anything at them or? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> I feel like I've worked at a lot of different places. Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing that I do sort of miss about my old job at the design firm, um, I think in like I, I really love being at the museum and I the the mission of the museum is really important to me and that's really nice because there's just so many things that we do that sort of like reinforce why I'm there. Um mm -hmm. I do kind of miss like being around more and it, it's not to say that um I don't have like, you know, creativity around me, but there's there's something really cool about working with you know, graphic designers and architects because they speak like a completely different language. And mm -hmm. I find sort of that side of design like really interesting. Um, so I miss that a little, but I think from that particular job, it was, it was just very cool to work with so many different museums and some of which were like so completely outside of my wheelhouse. Um, mm -hmm. The biggest project that I ended up working on and my job there was you know to sort of be the person who keeps track of everything like all of the exhibition scripts like any changes that are made all of the images you know just like content like mountains and mountains of content um the biggest project that i worked on there was the college football hall of fame which is in atlanta um which was very random because I'm not a sports person at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it was sort I of... I do like football, but I don't understand anything else. But go ahead. Yeah. You know, but just to be, like, so completely immersed in the world of college football was, like, sort of bizarre and fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was cool to see sort of, like, the breadth of museums that exist. Like, there's literally a museum for everything which is cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And then I remember hearing about there's a museum or there's a collection that a woman is a curator for of president's pets. And like they have, oh, wow. you know, uh, 
artifacts like collars and toys of like presidents and their pets down the line and i mean they, i don't know if it's actually installed anywhere right now it might be in storage but it's kind of amazing that yeah. you would never think like, i could look around my room and i'd be like well what could be you know saved for a collection one day you never know mm-hmm. um That's funny so you already talked about you know kind of what your day looks like at uh, the museum you're at now. Um, so mm -hmm. move on from that. We kind of talked about the digital age and how it's coming about. Do you encounter any hesitancy from older staff or more staff that are a little more um, selective in what they want the public to know? Um, yeah, actually. Um, it's not necessarily like, you know, a hesitancy to adopt new things, um, which I'm sure a lot of people deal with. It's more so like, you know, the sort of safeguarding like curatorial authority in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've yeah. heard some other museum professionals talk about this, you know, like if if one of the trends in museums is like, you know, social media and sort of like online collections allow us to like give so much to the visitor, you know, like what sort of like what context, sorry, that's the dog, like what context do you lose in the process? Um, you know, and we've had sort of this role of the curator for so long whose job it is to kind of, you know, take history or to take art and kind of contextualize everything. Um, right. So I, I definitely am of the sort of school of thought, like, I want to just give everything away for free. Like, I would love to see museums have their entire collection online and searchable and accessible. Um, that's just sort of my personal thing. I, I really love the idea that we have these tools that allow us to make scholarship and, you know, everything available to people that otherwise, like, you know, would maybe never get to visit the collection or, you know, right. somebody all the way on the other side of the country that's doing a research paper and could really benefit from materials that we have and might not know that we have this particular thing in our collection. Um, I think it's been interesting to sort of see, you know, that kind of, like, utopian idea of openness, like, bump up against, you know, like, concerns about copyright or... Right you know, just sort of like, you know, the museum has been open for 30 years, like this particular paragraph of information that we have kind of connected to this artwork, like nobody remembers who wrote that anymore or what their sources were and how can we be sure that it's still accurate? You know, so mm -hmm. if we, we have some of our collection online, I think we have about maybe 150 works online. Um, and one of the things that, you know, is sort of like a, a project for me and the people that I work with is to, you know, kind of retrofit our website so that it's more easily searchable because it's right now you can really only sort of browse by the artist. So you kind of have to know what you're looking for. Um, and we we just started using a digital asset management system about a year ago, which has been really wonderful for internal use. Um, you know, instead of having like five different versions of an image like on network servers, right. you know, now there's sort of one location with the authoritative image of that work with all of its information attached. Um, 
the, the digital asset management system has the capability in theory, you know, to hook to our website, you know, not without mm -hmm. this, like, struggle in the meantime. Um, <laughs> but in, in theory, we could sort of push the entire collection onto our website, you know, linking these two systems. But I think the curators have a great deal of, like, reasonable anxiety about that, you know, because it's sort of... Right. You lose your ability to like contextualize things for people. Um, so I, there's you definitely moments where I sort of need to. Oh, what's that? No, I was just gonna say you have to live, give up a level of control too, which can be scary as well. Right, right. You know, and copyright is like a whole other thing. You know, particularly if you have a lot of modern contemporary art in your collection, if you have like living artists you know, their work, um, it's, it can get very complicated. So, right. Yeah. I know um, that Ella, uh, Long Island Museum, we have our collection database online and it's linked to, we use Past Perfect as a software. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of the collection is online, but of course, because it's linked to Past Perfect, the records, they're getting the records that are on there and frankly, like, if they're found in collection items, they have no, you know, no records really filled out. So it's kind of like, is mm -hmm. that going to really help the online visitor get an idea of the item? So mm -hmm. we're currently, you know, trying to work on doing inventory and updating these records with pictures and information. But as a small museum, we have a very tight budget and staffing hours mm -hmm. are very limited so it falls on our shoulders and I know you know that we could well use volunteers and interns but then it's putting a lot of faith in people that might not have such a strong connection as someone who internally works at the museum so mm -hmm. I guess Definitely. you know there are a lot of struggles with trying to do a be open and honest with you know, the public, but then, like we said, there's issues of control and whether people are going to abuse these images that are out there that have your name tied to them. So I get, mm -hmm. the, I get both sides, but I, I agree yeah. that the more you can share with the public, the better, you know. Yeah. Um, how many, how big is your collection? That's a good question. Our collection um, is really made up of three parts. It's made up of history objects, which do include uh, textiles. And I know the textiles and costumes number at least 10,000. I don't remember yeah. offhand the historical objects. Then our next collection we have is our carriage collection because we're the Long Island Museum of Art, History, and Carriages. And our carriages, I think, run around 200 or 250 wow. we have I think we have 200 on display and maybe another 50 in storage I could be wrong but I know those numbers are close and then we do have art and we have an art collection and I don't even I can't even guess at that because we just got a huge donation of an artist um, that numbered in the 200 so I oh, say wow. we have a decent amount. We have a lot, a huge collection, but not a lot of space. <laughs> um, so, and we also have, we have a reference library, and then we have a carriage reference library. So we have 
two libraries that offer research uh, tools and aids, and we do get scholars and researchers come in and use, you know, the artifacts and then the references we have. Wow, that's impressive. Um, we actually have a much smaller <laughs> collection in comparison. I think we have a, around 5,000 works. Okay, well, yeah, that seems a lot. Uh, yes. A little more. You guys have a lot of stuff. Ours. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, there was periods of of heavy accession, and then our founder had really accessioned a lot. Um, he was big into the carriages and the art, so a lot of it does come from that. Um, we the museum does have a hold on on buying anything right now, so mainly we're getting donations that trickle in. You know, maybe a couple items uh, every period before our collection meeting, but that art collection was a big one, and that was over two years, so from one donor. Mm -hmm. I did uh, bring cool. up, you know, that we have a tighter budget being a smaller museum where our budget's really based on the board. I was wondering, you know, with your museum or in your other jobs, did budget limitations ever become an issue for what you need to do? Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm mean, sure. But it's such an a issue common, for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, it's such a common museum problem. Um, I mean, we are. I'm not sure, like, what your like funding base is like. Um, we have. We're a private museum, so we don't receive any federal mm -hmm. funding. Um, okay. But we do have a pretty robust. Um, membership program um, and individual donors. And then we also have like event rental. Um, it's the building is a former Masonic temple. It's actually like oh, cool. very impressive inside. Um, and a lot of people mm -hmm. get married there, <laughs> which is yeah, like a great income stream. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's offer... really... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're we're in um you know as a a small private museum we're in like a a good position but you know like any museum we're not exactly like rolling in dough um <laughs> we have sort of an we have sort of an interesting like departmental setup um which is basically that our the the digital engagement department um which is me a part-time website administrator and another colleague that, you know, she sort of functions full-time with digital engagement, but is also sort of like belongs to the publications department. Um, okay. And then our boss is actually the director of education. So the reason it's set up that way is that, you know, the kind of like our social media and things kind of grew out of the education department. Um, we had somebody who was an education intern who was hired to kind of manage our first website design. And it's sort of just like a legacy, you know, so that it has ended up in education. So we actually don't have, we have a budget, but it's not, it's sort of like a, in a way it's sort of like a fake budget, you know, like anything that we don't spend just sort of gets reabsorbed and it's like, you know, it's not like dedicated digital engagement money. It's sort of part of the education department. 
Um, okay. So that can be, that can be like, it, it sort of creates the idea that like we should always just not spend money. Um, when in reality we can, you know, there is a little bit of flexibility. It just sort of like takes some convincing. Um, we, the one thing that I will say is like worth every penny is that we don't have a website developer on staff. Um, our website administrator okay. has more technical knowledge and has sort of, she's, you know, been with the museum for around five years um, and then went to kind of remote working because of family circumstances and is now back part-time. But we just don't have the mm -hmm. capacity in-house to do like serious development work. Um, so we use a contractor and that, okay. you know, having like a, a good reliable developer has sort of saved us on many instances. You know, like if the website unexpectedly goes down or just sort of like routine kind of keeping up with like requests as they come, like, you know, I'd like to be able to do this with the website and then we can kind of do these one-off projects you know, where he'll, he'll update stuff for us. Um, it has been interesting. We've we've had you know I'm you mentioned that you had you knew about the five women artists social media campaign. Yeah. So that's actually been really great for us because it was sort of like a concrete like big success. Um, and we actually sort of went through the exercise the first year that we did it, um, and kind of had everybody who worked on the project sort of estimate how much time they had spent on it. Um, given that it was sort of, we came up with this idea, you know, in a our social media kind of working group, and we put a lot of time in it, um, you know, because we all just like felt really passionate and we wanted it to succeed, you know, but it wasn't like we had specifically budgeted, you know, this much overtime to work on this like social media campaign. So we, we sort of... Right quantified it all just so that we could better communicate, you know, to the director, you know, if we want to do this again, or if a board member is like, you know, make us go viral again, you know, then we can say like, this is how much time it took, you know, these were the resources we used. Right. Um, but in a way like that, the success of the social media campaign has sort of enabled us to kind of ask for more and make the case for more funding for specifically digital projects, which is great. I did actually, I'm glad you brought up that project because I know it was a huge success. You guys won an award for it, if I'm not mistaken. Or, we did. Right? You, yes. Did you expect yeah, the, it to be as full? Oh, go ahead. Um, the first year? So the, the first time we did it was um, in 2016. Um, and mm -hmm. we hadn't really expected it to be such a success. It was sort of a surprise. Um, it came out of, you know, we have sort of like a cross-departmental social media group, and we get together every few months to sort of brainstorm ideas for different things. And there's sort of this, like, added pressure to do something for Women's History Month, you know, because we're a women's art museum. And ironically, I think... People at the museum are sort of like, why should we do something special <laughs> for Women's History Month? Like, this is what we do all the time. Every day. Um, yeah. Right. Like, literally every day is 
Women's History Day. But, you know, it is it is a time when, you know, more people are sort of paying attention and lots of museums are sharing content related to, like, women artists in their collection or women's history. Yeah. And so the, the idea actually came from somebody on our marketing team um, who was sort of referencing the, the idea of, like, naming five women artists comes from our founder um, who, when she was trying to establish the museum, you know, would sort of be showing people her collection and really making the case for why there needed to be a women's art museum. And they would say, like, I just don't see it. You know, why do you need a women's art museum? And she would say, you know, like, we'll name five women artists. Just, you know, off the top of your head, name five women artists. Right. And pretty much always they couldn't, you know, and she would say, like, well, that's that's why we need a women's art museum. So mm-hmm. I think oh, it, cool. it started as sort of like a, you know, a local, like, let's ask our friends and colleagues at other museums in the D.C. area to, like, we'll you know, we'll kind of give them the heads up and we'll challenge them to name five women artists and it'll be this, like, cute Women's History Month thing. Um, But then the more we kind of talked about it, you know, we sort of started, like, putting our heads together and saying, like, well, I know somebody at this museum and I know somebody at this museum. Like, what if we ask them to do it too? So Mm -hmm. then it kind of just, you know, we had a big spreadsheet where everybody just brainstormed, like, everyone they knew at every museum they could think of, and we just sort of put the word out. And, you know, people were, we, it was it was fairly, like, broad and vague in that we literally just wanted people to participate, so we weren't too, we weren't too, like, specific, like, you have to do this particular thing, or it must be on this day. We were just sort of like, just talk about women in your collection and use the hashtag. Right. Um but I think it, you know, on the on the one hand, like museums, the person who's uh, running social media always needs something to talk about. So this kind of gave them, you know, like, oh, okay, it's March. Like, yeah. I'll focus on this particular thing. And then I think that people got really excited about it because they sort of realized, like, you know, I, I don't really know any women artists. And, you know, so once we... It, it was successful because we collaborated with a lot of different organizations to kind of amplify the message. And then sort of individual people started getting really excited about it and, you know, wanted to challenge their friends. And, you know, it just, it, it went viral. So the second year was actually interesting because we did a lot more prep work since we mm-hmm. knew what we were doing. And it was a little bit less, you know, half-assed, so to say. Um, <laughs> and But we did find that it was a little bit, we, we introduced, like, a few new things. Like, we really, really wanted to get, you know, a museum from all 50 states. And, you know, the, the one who had originally come up by, with the idea was, like, obsessed with getting a museum from every continent. Um, um. So it turns out there actually is, there's, um, it's called the Antarctic Biennial, which is basically like a ship of like scientists and artists that goes to the, to Antarctica and they do research, but they also 
they also do like site-specific art installations and they had mm -hmm. some women artists on board. So we convinced them to, you know, share an Instagram or two so that we could count them. Um, but, but, you know, despite like all of the prep work that we did the second year, we still had around the same amount of participation because it's really hard to sustain something like that, you know, that's essentially right. the same concept for two years in a row. So we're going to have to, you know, people want to still keep doing it. So we're going to have to come up with like a new angle. Right, for this coming year? Mm-hmm. You, you have collaborated with other institutions before on your um, Day of Facts, which I was reading all about on, uh, what was it, Twitter? That was a big Yeah. So did you kind of approach it the same way as how did you build those relationships with other institutions to get them involved? Um, did it happen organically? Yeah. Or? Do you mean specifically for day of facts or just sort of in general? Yes, uh, a day of facts um, or general, whatever is easier to talk about. Yeah, so for... For the first round of Five Women Artists, um, you know, we we definitely reached out to people that we sort of knew right. locally. You know, a lot of whom, you know, I like I know a few people who went to the same grad school program or, you know, that I've met in passing. Um, but we actually started really reaching out um, to people that we had met at conferences. So okay. one of the um, yeah, I I had gone to, I'm sure Dana's talked to you about MCN, the conference, um, the Museum's Computer Network, which is, you know, every fall, um, that's all mm -hmm. sort of museum technology professionals. Right. So I had gone for the first year. Um, I went as a volunteer uh, right before I started this job because I, I just wanted to see what it was like. Um, and it was really wonderful, and I met a lot of great people. And I, so I figured, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I definitely met people who like do social media, and I just figured, like, well, what's the harm in just reaching out and saying, like, hey, I met you at MCN, like, I'm here now, and we're trying to do this thing. Do you want to participate? And people were really enthusiastic. Um, the there were sort of like a few key people that like made it very successful. There's um, a woman named Jaja who is the director of digital at the Jewish Museum who was previously at the Guggenheim and I sort of knew of her, uh, had read some of her work and I reached out to her. Uh, I just like cold emailed her and just explained what we were trying to do and I didn't know if she would respond or not but she did and she was really into it and said like, oh, let me, you know, put you in touch with like the people I know at the Brooklyn Museum and the Met. And we were like, sure, that would be great. That's great. So, yeah, so definitely like not being too afraid to ask and then mm -hmm. just sort of like leveraging other people's connections too. You know, if it's something that you're really enthusiastic about and you can make a solid case for why they should be enthusiastic too, then, you know, it was actually pretty easy. Um, yeah, and then with I'm ASX, sure 
Um, oh, yeah. Sorry, what was that? I was just going to ask, I'm sure that it's a little more complicated when you're dealing with outside entities when you're uh, versus internal projects, I could assume, right? Um, yeah, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, do you mean in terms of just sort of like logistics of everything? Yeah, like I have, oh, what am I trying to say? Like I guess the the roles that each institution would play, like you could have this great conversation and you can pitch your idea, but I'm sure that if they don't deliver, it can create some complications. Sure. I mean, I think the the good thing about Five Women Artists is that it really could be just anything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like we we really left it pretty open to whatever people wanted to do. And we said, you know, if you tag us, that would be great. But if not, that's okay too. Just use the hashtag. Um, you know, so there was definitely like some museums that had like more interesting content or obviously spent a lot more time on it or, you know, but it's, it's all good because I, at all we were really hoping for was sort of participation. So anything above that was like, great, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then with, with Day of Facts, it was sort of like, I, I did actually sort of take everything that I had learned, you know, working on Five Women Artists, and that made it possible, truthfully, um, because otherwise I don't think I would have known what I was doing. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't want to sort of mix the two because Day of Facts was really more of like a, a personal project, which I also wasn't okay. sure would be successful at all. Um, but I definitely reached out to people that I had, you know, people who had been involved in Five Women Artists, but that I otherwise sort of had a personal relationship to, um, and just said, you know, like, there's this thing I'm working on you know, kind of separate from my institution, you know, would you be interested? And then truthfully, mm -hmm. with Day of Facts, we also cold emailed like hundreds of people. Um, really? Because, yeah, we just weren't sure like how far the word would spread. And there were like a lot of museums that we thought would be a good fit for it. Um, but you know, had no idea if they had heard about it. So we figured, like, we'll just send them an email. And, I mean, tons and tons of people, like, just never responded to us, which was fine. Um, but, yeah, there was there were a lot of emails sent. Even if they didn't respond, you, you know they saw the email, so they had some idea. Yeah. I, I think with, you know, with Day of Facts, like, it's sort of pseudo-political in ah. nature. And I... There was definitely a lot of, you know, I had to make a a much stronger case for why I thought certain museums should participate. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of museums were, like, sort of on the fence about it. They were like, I don't know. You know, like, and we actually, interestingly, like, my the my colleague that I organized it with, we did have a lot of conversations with museums who would say, like, okay, well, can you tell me, like, who else in Chicago is participating? You know, like, 
before they would agree, yeah. they kind of wanted to know, like, who else was in. Um, it was definitely like a, you know, like a safety in numbers kind of thing. So right. that was very interesting. Do you have anything on that scale in the work for the future or not yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> um yeah, I would I would love to say that like we have something up our sleeve, but um yeah. You know, in terms of sort of like personal projects of that scale, I don't think so. It was a lot of work and you know, it it certainly came out of you know, like a place of real passion and sort of right alarm, I guess you could say. Um and I don't I don't know. I don't really know sort of what comes next. So Right. Well you felt strongly about it, so I could see that. Yeah. It was it was that that sort of Sure. Yeah. I mean there's always always opportunities for organizing. Um I guess I'll just ask a couple more questions and then, you know, if that's if that's okay. I I know Dana had said that, you know, the museum you work for, it charges admission, which is something that is not common, or not not common, but when there's so many other free museums in Washington, do you guys Mm -hmm. ever find that the admission fee is a deterrent, and so you'll use, like, maybe a digital tactic to bring those visitors into the doors, or? Um, So I don't think... I mean, I couldn't tell you, like, I don't, I don't hear, like, every single comment. Like, I don't know how many people come to the door, see that it's paid, and, like, leave in a huff. I'm sure it happens. Um, I think, honestly, I think more people, they're more disappointed because they mistakenly think that we're a Smithsonian Museum because we have national in the title. So I think it's, Uh, it's not even that, you know, like, if they knew in advance that it wasn't Smithsonian, Maybe it would be less of a thing, but because they think that we are federal, then when they find out that we're not free, then it's sort of like it. I, I think our visitor services team probably explains <laughs> that particular issue yeah. quite a bit. Um, in terms just of curious. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, probably going to answer what um, I was going to ask anyway. Oh well, so we don't. We don't have that many, like I wouldn't say we do, like, we don't do that many, like, promotions sort of digitally. Like, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of museums will do sort of, like, half-off days or, you know, whatever. I mean, obviously, like, if if you are a member, it's free. We try to do as many sort of, like, community-focused things as possible, you know, like, with our budget. Um, we recently had sort of in conjunction with the current exhibition, um, quite a handful of the artists in the show are D.C.-based or have connections to the D.C. area. Um, and particularly, a lot of them went to Howard University um, or MICA, which is in Baltimore. So we had sort of a community weekend where anybody affiliated with one of those schools got free admission, um, which okay. was like a really, it was just, it was just sort of like a nice thing to do. Um, and right. we we have a monthly, you know, like the first, what is it? The first 
Sunday of every month is free. Um, but yeah, I think if there's one thing, like if you asked staff about it, I think pretty much everybody would say like, I wish it were free, you know, because that would just, yeah. it would be nice, but I don't think it's, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to know, like at your museum, like what are people's expectations or are they disappointed or is it even an issue? So I think I think it goes both ways because we do a lot of promotions where we do Thursdays are buy uh buy one, get one, so they're two for one deals. We do offer mm-hmm. uh discounts for senior citizens. We have senior Tuesdays, which is one Tuesday a month, a certain gallery will be um showcased and free admission for the seniors. But we do run free events a lot. We do also run concerts and things that people are paying for. And I don't know if it's because there's admission fees. I think, you know, our tickets are like $10 for an adult, which isn't mm-hmm. it isn't very high in my opinion. But we aren't getting any of those younger college students that surround us, and I don't know if it's because they don't know about us, they don't think we have cool stuff, or because they can go see some, do something else for free. So mm-hmm. I was just curious, you know, we do, we have just really started getting a digital presence. Um, I really have pushed for it because of the program, the John Hopkins program. Mm-hmm. All I've learned is how important, yes, it taught me a lot, how important social media is, the website. I even, you know, I've written two Wikipedia articles, and we currently have a project going where we're going to put a lot of, a number of our artists in our collection who don't have articles, Wikipedia articles. Mm-hmm. We're going to create them and kind of build those connections to us. And so if a person is is just browsing or visiting that article, they might have more of an interest to come see it in person. Sure. Um, but I've taken over, I run our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for curatorial. And then I we have one girl in education who took it over at the same time as me. And then we have the marketing, um, one woman in marketing who's always done it. And I just feel that her mindset is not, she doesn't do, I'm not saying she does a bad job, but she's definitely not Mm -hmm. on top of the trends that are going on and like really understanding how to utilize social media. So I think it's really great that we got some fresh voices in there, but Mm -hmm. we're still not getting those, the target audience into our doors. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. no, I don't know if you, in your, um, position pay attention to trends and try to include those in in the things you do as well um for example like when that the mannequin challenge was going on i'm sure you saw it all Mm -hmm. over social media i ended up cleaning out our mannequin closet and organizing it and throwing out a bunch (laughs) of mannequins so i actually made a post of the clean storage space like a behind the scenes and i was like this is our own version of the mannequin challenge you know and it, it got a good amount of hits like, I've always tried to make mm-hmm. interesting hashtags and, and do things like that. Um, I don't know if that's also something you do or pay at least pay attention to. Yeah, we definitely pay attention to, you know, like different hashtag days 
um, you know, things that are kind of trending. I think it's like you have to be careful because it can get really out of control. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's sort of like one of my pet peeves when like, you know, museums that I follow on Instagram or, you know, on anything like every single day will be like, here's a thing that looks like a watermelon from our collection because it's watermelon day. And you're like, that's like, it's not that interesting. Like you do this every day, you know, so it's, you definitely have to be careful, like not to do it too much, but like, we're certainly very aware of like, you know, we're all, so I, the way we have it broken down is like sort of just by personal preference. So like my job is really more kind of like, project coordination, like for specific, Mm -hmm. like digital projects that we do and managing the website. Um, And then my colleague who's sort of half digital, half publications, she does the bulk of our social media. And I kind of manage the Twitter account just because I like happen to enjoy Twitter. Um, I don't know how you enjoy that character limit, but (laughs) Twitter is my favorite because it's like, I try to, I, try to take my post and put them through all three platforms and you get to Twitter and you're like, I can only put maybe an eighth of what I've written. What do I do here? Right. <laughs> well, so we, we sort yeah. of use our Twitter account. Like we use the, like Facebook and Instagram, we sort of highlight more of the collection. And then Twitter we've kind of used as sort of, you know, we do sort of like, promotional stuff about like events that are happening at the museum mm-hmm. um but i kind of use it as sort of like it's almost like a newswire for like stuff about women in the arts you know like our okay. our collection is only so big and our collection is like not super diverse you know like we're we have sort of like improved collecting priorities but it a lot of the a lot of the collection is like european most of it is white women, you know, so like it's Twitter is actually kind of nice because it allows us to share, you know, information about what's going on in the art world that concerns women artists and to sort of be more expansive of like all women artists. Um, so when we, you know, like highlight like the things that tend to do the best on Twitter are truthfully things that sort of are that feature like more marginalized women, you know, like we, mm-hmm. I highlight like a lot of women artists of color and like international women artists, like things that we just don't have in our collection, but that are really important to share. And that tends to do really well. I mean, truthfully, that a lot of the stuff that does really well is like sort of political content. Like we're, we're not trying to like make political statements, but women artists are making a lot of political art at this moment in time. So that's that's kind of interesting. But so we we definitely kind of pay attention to different trends and things, Um, especially ones that, like, have to do with women, you know, sort of like equal pay day comes around every year. Um, Yeah. You know, so I've created, like, you know, sort of interesting infographics that are about, like, women working in the arts that kind of relate to that overall theme and... um, but yeah, it's it's a balance, not to like make it seem too silly. Right. I I try to always remain, you know, that educated 
the educated content and then maybe like a fun hashtag at the end or something. But, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, with the mannequin challenge, that wasn't us. We weren't showcasing anything but a behind-the-scenes look, so I felt like it was okay to be a little more trendy. But when it comes to, like, objects, I definitely try to have that voice that this is an important object and this is why. But I was just curious, you know, how you guys yeah. viewed your trend. Um, yeah, I think. I think I just have one more question. or I have one more question and then I have a, just a closing one. I was just curious, do you guys ever use, and your, your coworker, like you said, might be the better fit, but have you ever used social media ambassadors to kind of help push your campaign? Um, well, we do a lot of Insta-meets, um, you know, okay. where we'll in, invite people sort of for a special. So we, we've gotten into the habit of like for every new large exhibition, um, we'll schedule an Insta-meet and give people who apply to come like a first look at the exhibition. Um, I'm trying to think of, besides events like that, we have, so we have a public program series um, that's called Women, Arts, and Social Change that's mm-hmm. relatively new. This is the third year we're doing it. Um, and it's a series of programs each year, probably like five per year, um, that are specifically um, either panel discussions or sort of presentations that have to do with sort of like the intersections of like art and like social change. So. Each one has a theme, you know, sort of like art and like the built environment, um, art and um, the history of like bicycling was really interesting and sort of like how it's sort of, it's like an, it's a cool program. It's like kind of our attempt to bring in like younger, more diverse audiences um, Mm -hmm. by having these like really interesting and dynamic women you know, who are not necessarily, like, straight-up visual artists, but sort of women who are working at, like, the intersections of different things, you know, that involve sort of, like, social issues and gender issues. Um, So with those, because each program is so specific to a kind of, like, community, we have done things where we've, you know, like, made agreements with people beforehand. So I'm thinking of, like, the bicycle event, um, a lot of the women were DC based, you know, one runs sort of like the women's biking program of like the Washington area bicyclist association, or this woman organizes like a black women who bike group. So we were in touch with them beforehand to kind of like, you know, we sort of gave them some of our like prepared social content that they could use to like get the word out to their communities. Um, that kind of thing. So not like an official ambassador, but we're, I think we're getting better at sort of the community partnerships model for sure. Okay. Well, that's good. You guys yeah. Is that something well that these? you guys do? No, but it's a thought because, um, like I said before, the museum is uh, right down the block from Stony Brook University which is a, a bigger university that has, you know, a number of bachelor programs from arts to science to 
um, medical. So it would be really great to build connections within those student body to kind of bring them to the campus and to the events. You know, we've tried to run, like I said, free events where it's, um, you know, like ugly sweater party. We tried during a certain exhibition mm -hmm. we had and offered beer and everything. And it's just we still didn't, we had no one show up. So it's like there's so many students around us, but they're finding mm -hmm. other things too, whether it's on the mm -hmm. campus or I, I, you know, around, and so we're struggling to bring them in. And I was, we're creating web projects for the class, and part of the web project that I was designing was for Long Island Museum, and it was to build up our website with content for an upcoming exhibition that's in-house. And Dana kind of recommended maybe making a social media campaign um, and kind of reaching out to maybe some of the students to build connections and to get them to promote it. So my idea was, as the exhibition's about music and William Timmy Mount, who is an artist we have a strong collection from. We have his letters and journals, we have his house, we have a lot. So um, I was thinking of trying to do a project where participants listen to music, um, whatever we pick, or a video, and it, the hashtag is music inspired me and we would want them to you know, to the music and then go out and take pictures or write music themselves and, and submit how it inspired them. And uh, so I was hoping to maybe, you know, reach out to either the music department or the art department and see if we can get some of them involved to then share with their friends. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, I think, like, if there's... You know, like, there's one thing that I sort of took away from, like, the five women artists thing is that, like, people want to be included, and they definitely, like, want, I think, like, a lot of people would happily join something or share something. They just, like, don't know that that's an option. So I think, like, yeah. when you kind of bring it to them and sort of offer it to them, I think, like, a lot of times you'll find that, you know, people are really enthusiastic about it. So I think that's, yeah, that's a cool idea. I hope so. I mean, I, I definitely hope it works. We just recently had an exhibition called Dog Days, and it, um, the curator went through our collection and found all these things dog-related, whether it was dog portraits, um, dog competition ribbons. We have slippers that have embroidered dogs on them, just like a fun little exhibition. And so we decided to try this experiment and see if anyone would post to our social media. So we invited them. We, you know, put up signs everywhere at the reception and in the exhibition and asked them to share their own memory of their dog or, you know, a photo of their dog using hashtag, I think it was LIM dogs. And not mm -hmm. one person did it. <laughs> the exhibition's <laughs> been up summer. So that was not successful. Um, yeah, but we actually I mean, have, we have, if it makes you feel any better, we have a lot of things like that, where it's like, do this, and nobody ever does it. Well, we figured we didn't really promote it. It was just something that we, spur of the moment, we're like, let's try this. this if people are posting pictures of their dogs all the time, you know. But mm -hmm. I'm hoping we actually um, are scheduled to work with some students in the English department 
uh, doing research and I'm actually, we're having them pick objects, research them, and create the label and, and the post for social media as the objects of the day or objects of the week. And I'm hoping building connections with them and getting them excited will, you know, kind of snowball into them and their friends and then and down from there. So we're trying mm -hmm. to, we're trying at the museum, but it's hard. It's hard when staffing hours are limited and we can't afford outside sources to help and, you know, so sure. your t what you talked about and the tactics really, you know, are helpful. So I do appreciate that. Okay. Is there yeah. any other advice you can give? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I mean, I think, you know, just try things. And if it yeah. doesn't work, like, and if it doesn't work because nobody participates, like, then they probably weren't paying attention and then they won't realize that it didn't work. You know, like, it's, yeah. I think in museums, it's really hard to convince, you know, maybe higher level staff members or other coworkers to just like try something out when there is that possibility of failure. But, you know, like that's the only, that's the only way that sort of things ever become successful is because you gave it a try. So, you know, and I, I think like in terms of budget, like definitely, being able to have sort of a, you know, if there's something that you would like to do, but it costs money, you know, if it's like a discrete amount of money, I think like making a good case for like why you should do it and what it would change about the organization or sort of what goals it could accomplish, um, I think is really helpful because everybody always wants more funding. But unless you're really able to say, like, there's this one specific thing that I'd really like to do because I think the results could be X, Y, Z, and this is kind of how I would make it happen, you know, then it's, you're a lot less likely to get the extra funding. So, like, the more you can sort of make, like, a really solid case for yourself, I think the easier it'll be. And, like, just not being afraid to ask, you know, if... And right. often, you know, I'm 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 in the mindset of like, oh, we just like can't spend money ever. And for for this year's five women artists, you know, we had sort of like a hashtag tracker for the first year that we implemented like on the second day of the campaign because we like hadn't anticipated that we would need it. Um, so this year we knew like we need to be able to have like tracking so that we can you know report on the campaign. But in the year that it passed, like, all of the, like, hashtag tracking programs had, like, gotten much more expensive, you know, and unless right. we wanted to pay for, like, one that was, like, not really user-friendly and just kind of crappy. And so I found one that I liked, and I was scared to ask because it just felt like, you know, like, oh, we can't, I can't ask for, like, you know, two or $300 for this thing. But because we had already sort of, like, established the success of it, it was, much easier, you know, for my boss to say, like, no, I think you're right. Like, we do need that. You know, we need to be able to sort oh, of good. continue proving the success of it. Yeah, and I was, I was surprised by how easily she said yes. And I, you know, I think I'm, I'm trying to train myself just to like ask for things, even if the answer will be no. You know, 
you won't know. It doesn't ask. No, that's that's some great advice. I appreciate that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Do you mind holding on one second? 